This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Lucky you. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Dear Prudence show. Once again, and as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Danny M. Lavery. With me today is Grace Lavery, an associate professor in the Department of English at UC Berkeley. Hi, Grace. Thanks for being here. Oh, hey, Danny. It's nice to be here. And uh, <coughs> I'm sorry. Um, it's nice to be here. And <coughs> oh, God, it feels like I have an alien in my throat. An alien in your throat? Like in my throat. I... I'm no longer Grace Lavery. I am Grack. I have come from the planet Lavery, cleverly designed to mimic human curves. And I am going to take over the Dear Prudence podcast. That is, unless you can stop me. I will return the human known as Grace back to you now while I go back to my alien lair in New York City. Sorry, what was that? It wasn't anything, Grace, but we are moving to New York City. So listeners, please listen to some of my favorite letters from 2019 while Grace and I uh, pack our bags. This one's called Overloaded Friend. Dear Prudence, I have a friend who is a therapist. She is a fiancé who is mentally ill, a compulsive user of porn and weed, major depression, unemployed in his mid-40s, and has done nothing with his life. She has loads of job opportunities coming her way. She's been a single mom of two special needs kids who are now in their teens. She knows this guy isn't right for her, but he's so nice, and she just doesn't want to hurt him. I cannot understand how she sees clients all day, then visit him in the hospital and try to keep her focus on her kids and take care of herself. Now she's having health problems. She's a dear friend and means well, but what can I say or do? I feel it's almost cruel of her to expect this guy to ever step up. They've been together three years, and before her, he never had a relationship last longer than two months. His family is overjoyed that they are together, I'm guessing so that she can take over his care. I know she's tired of doing it all alone, but that is not a reason to stay with someone. He can barely take care of himself. What are your thoughts? So my biggest question here was that line about visiting him in the hospital. Yeah. Uh, it was not clear what he was in the hospital for. Mm-hmm. Um, I, like, I don't know if he got the flu and had to stay overnight. I, I, I don't know if he's, like, chronically ill and is being treated for something really serious. I don't know if it was, like, after a mental health breakdown. And I don't know. I didn't know porn or weed could do either of those things. And if so... Uh, yeah, I you know, look into that. A little I more. actually did edit that because it was originally addicted to porn and weed. Okay, and I, I really was just like, let's set aside whether or not a person can become addicted to pornography, which uh-huh. is a bold claim. Um, but yeah, so it's very clear this guy does not sound great. I wouldn't want to date him. No. Um, and I can totally understand why the letter writer is not into this dude's deal. 
What's your experience with friends who date people you wish they wouldn't date? Mm, I feel like I've been that person for other people. Mm-hmm. And it you can't say anything. It, you lose always, yeah. in my opinion. Not that I've, like, you know, shut out those friends. Um, in fact, I kind of wish they would have said something earlier. But <laughs> you run the risk of it, you know, backfiring on you. But your friend definitely sounds like someone who clearly from her line of work uh, and just the what the position she's been in with her kids, she sounds like someone who is comfortable in this caretaking role and is attracted to people who uh, are in need. That's why she does what she does. Probably she's good at helping others, but I think maybe the 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 way in is like, hey, how are you taking care of yourself? You know, do you have enough time alone? Can I let's do something together? Let's go see a movie. Let's whatever. Um, and sort of just checking in with her about, like, if she has energy, any energy left for herself. Because, like, who's going to take care of her? It does sound like the hospitalization is as a result of um, this person's mental illness. And, you, yeah, that doesn't sound like a relationship. It just sounds like another job. Yeah. So what I would say, yeah, I, I'd be very much on the same page there. I feel like she's dated him for three years. She knows what his deal is. And, right. you know, I, I agree. I would probably not feel thrilled if I had a friend who was, like, really remarkable and always helping other people and had a partner who didn't seem to, like, give back to her. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just don't think you're going to get anywhere by saying, I think you should dump him. I think he's a loser. Um, I, I think the thing to focus on is to ask, like, what do you need? You know, is there anything that I can do to help, especially with the health stuff? Um, Certainly, like, if she brings up fears or anxieties around, like, I'm worried he's not going to step up, you could be honest and say things like, you know, honest but diplomatic. Like, yes, it seems like normally he does not do a lot to help and support you. How does that feel? Like, um, I also think that sometimes by the amount of information that this person knows about their friend, like, then maybe she's kind of giving giving you clues and almost giving you permission to just straight up say, I think you need to get out of this relationship, right? Because knowing this much, like, okay, the porn use, the weed use, the depression, like, I don't know, unless that's a lot of inference on on your part, um, I would say, like, this could be, you could go a little bolder with it. It's been three years, maybe, I, I, I it doesn't feel like it's going to backfire on you if you say, you're you're so wonderful and you've got all these things going for you and I feel like this person isn't right for you right now isn't who you need to be with right now um because sometimes we just sort of list off these things that are wrong with our relationship so that eventually our best friends will be like yeah what are you doing yeah Yeah, and so I think there's room for that conversation once like I I, Mm -hmm. I think if she because sometimes people also kind of do that where, like, they'll complain and complain about their partner and they'll say, yeah, and you repeat the last three things they said about their partner and all of a sudden they're like, how dare you? <laughs> like, he is a oh, miracle. okay, yeah. now I see where you stand. You yeah, never yeah, yeah. support me. Yeah. So, you know, again, like, be careful. But I think, yeah, if if it feels like she's really frustrated or upset, you can say, like, hey, based on what you've told me, you know, this, this, and this, I, I'm not, like, maybe don't say stuff like he's never done anything with his life. Um because that is a big enough value judgment that she might get real defensive oh, of yeah. him. Yeah. Um, but just say, like, yeah, it seems like these things have all been really hard for you and they bother you a lot. Do you think that you would maybe be happier if you weren't in a relationship with him? Mm-hmm. And again, you know, she may go to, yeah, I think about it sometimes, but I'm not really ready to. And that's going to be her choice. And you 
kind of just need to let her do that. Um, she may say, God, you know, when you put it like this, I'm, I kind of do want to break up with him, but I don't know how, in which case you could help. Um, she might say, yep, he's uh, not everybody's ideal boyfriend, but he makes me really happy and I'm comfortable with the issues that we have, in which case you can say, I love you so much. Let's get coffee sometime. You know, like you're so much more diplomatic than I, I feel like I would be. I've that, survived a lot of friends, lousy boyfriends. Have you? Has it gotten easier? Do they stay together? I, sometimes people do. Sometimes people don't. I don't want to get too specific because I don't yeah, want any of my fine. friends wondering <laughs> which ones they are. And I have also been the person who's done a little of like the, look, I know this is not going to last forever, guys. I appreciate you're all bearing with me. Yeah. I'm getting something out of this and it's important. And <laughs> Let it run its course. Yeah, just be friendly. That's all I ask. Um you know, again, unless somebody is being pretty abusive, I just think there's a limit to how much you can intervene. Yeah. Um, and sometimes people are in relationships where they get that to the outside it doesn't look appealing, but they do get something out of it. Maybe he's amazing in bed, you know? Oh, there's always that. I mean, he's that's implicit in this letter, <laughs> I think. Yeah. But I, I do also think that it's for sure it's how your friend is being treated. And sh- maybe he can't be the Superman that you hope that she finds, but it's if she if if she's if she's being brought down by him, that's a problem. If she is ve- being drained by him, that's a problem. If obviously if there's abuse, that's a problem. But otherwise, I f- yeah, I think there's you have to be you're you're so diplomatic. I'm not as diplomatic, but you have to ride that line. I mean, it's also just like in life, you will. There are often relationships with really accomplished, remarkable women and kind of bummer couch potato guys. Mm-hmm. And you have to pick and choose the times that you want to intervene because it's just you're you're going to run into this again. I was in a marriage like that and uh, it r- ran its course. And all my friends were like, no, that makes sense. <laughs> you know, it wasn't celebratory, nor was it like uh, I told you so. Um, but they were good listeners, and, and I think you just have to be a really good listener. So I, that's going to pay off to sort of just be there and, yeah. and you know, you got to do the psychotherapy thing where you just say nothing and then slowly insert one question in the span of an hour that, like, is the silver bullet question. Right, right. Like, especially if she's describing her day to you and you're like, okay, so you helped your clients and then you helped your kids and then you helped your boyfriend. Was there a time today that anyone helped you? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, like your friend's a smart lady. She will get there. Um, yeah. And that doesn't necessarily mean she'll dump him immediately thereafter, but just a- any way in which you can kind of help her identify ways in which she might need to take a little time to herself is going to be good. Um, and for what it's worth, I think, too, I, you know, when you're listing reasons that this guy is kind of a bummer, um, I would not say that, like, has a mental illness is in the same category as, like, you know, uh, spends all his time smoking weed and watching porn. Again, uh, yeah, that's not to say that... It, I, I, I guess I just mean, like, everyone's dealing with something. Choices are different than, like, things that are outside of your control. Um, a person can have a mental illness and be a remarkable partner, or they can have needs that are, like, challenging, but it doesn't make them a bad person. Um, so just be careful about how you frame that Um Focus more, I think, on the things that he chooses to do or not do. Right. Around his own treatment. Yeah. 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 Okay. This is it. This is the big one. This is, um, here we go. For some reason, by the way, 
Justine. I can't figure out, like, I just, I was more angry at the husband earlier who lied about wanting dogs than I was the first time I read this one. And I think I'm probably going to need to change that because this is objectively worse. <laughs> like, by any standards, this is so much worse than lying about wanting dogs. Um, I think it just seems so, like, soap operatic. It doesn't quite feel real to me. Yeah, I think also it's the letter writer's attitude in this one that might have mitigated your initial angry reaction. Right. But, yeah, um, it's, you know, whenever somebody clearly feels guilty and apologetic, it's 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 hard to stay as mad as someone who's like, yeah, I lied, but get over it. Um, but yeah, I, whew, okay, here we go. Subject, I gave away my boyfriend's dog and I lied about it. Dear Prudence, five years ago, I did something unforgivable. While my boyfriend Kyle was out of town, I gave away his beloved dog. I hate dogs. Kyle is a dog nut. He's totally obsessed with them. Instead of breaking up with someone whose values were different than mine, I acted cruelly. I regretted it almost immediately, but I didn't know how to extract myself from the situation without losing Kyle, so I lied and said his dog ran away. We searched for her for months. The more I've fallen in love with Kyle and the longer that we've been together, the worse my guilt has become. The fear of him finding out the truth petrifies me too. Now I'm pregnant, and the stress of this secret has become crushing. I feel like I've trapped Kyle, and I despise myself for it. He knows that I'm stressed, but not why. What do I do? P.S. I deserve the hate and condemnation I will receive. So, you know, there's lots going on here. Part of—did you get a read on this one? Um, Was it clear whether or not the letter writer has told Kyle yet that she's pregnant? Oh, no. Actually, that wasn't clear to me. Uh, based on the second read of it, I would think no. Yeah, because the stress of this secret, my first time around, I was like the secret being that you gave his dog away. But now uh, yeah. I'm a little worried that it's both. So I'm going to go ahead and assume that Kyle doesn't yet know that you're pregnant. Um, and I don't know what your plans are there. I don't know if the pregnancy was completely accidental or if you guys have had a kind of like laissez-faire approach to if it happens it happens i don't know if the two of you have talked at all about wanting to raise children together um i don't know if you're still on the fence about whether or not you want to carry this pregnancy to term um so given that there are a wide range of of possibilities there um you know i i i don't think that the situation as it is is ten of, like I don't think you can go on the way that you're going. Um, my first thought when I had read it, and I had kind of thought they both know that the letter writer is pregnant. They've been planning on starting a family. My thinking was a little bit more on the side of, God, this is horrible. But you know, it's time to think about the child, and I worry about what effect it might have on the baby if if you reveal this information, you know, right before the baby came. Um, and now I don't know that I'm quite so like. You just need to suffer with this information by yourself forever. Um, I, I, I'm not qualified for this. I gotta say, um, this is this feels like I should turn to all the other advice columnists in the world. I think there's no perfect answer, no matter what. Um, I think that's what makes this a little bit complicated. Um, I think that one thing that might help 
the letter writer a little bit to get some clarity is to see if the letter writer can cut out some of their own self-loathing mm-hmm. so that they can think more clearly about it because definitely the letter writer is sorry and feels bad and notes that this was a significant mistake. So I think that getting that out of the way um, as much as possible will help figure out the best course of action. Um, I don't know if I would necessarily advise continuing with the lie because that essentially means that the future of their relationship is still based on this shaky, untenable foundation, to quote your earlier word. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I come back to is, you know, the letter writer says, you know, the fear of him finding out the truth petrifies me. The stress is crushing. I have trapped him. I despise myself. So, frankly, I think even if my advice to this letter writer was take this to your grave, there's nothing to be done about it now, and there's no point in making Kyle suffer too, I I just don't know that the letter writer is going to be able to keep this secret, especially, you know, if she does decide to try to, like, keep the pregnancy, raise a child with Kyle. Um, I I think that this is only going to keep coming up because, like, of course, as the idea of starting a family together comes to mind there's this thought of the last time I was entrusted with care for something that Kyle loved I gave it away and didn't tell him so it makes sense to me that there's a fear there of like what kind of parent will I be that was a big you know um, inciting incident in terms of how you built the foundation of your relationship with Kyle so boy oh boy if, if the two things you need to tell Kyle are A of all I'm pregnant and B of all your dog never ran away. I gave it away. That's, you know, that's going to be a big, com- that's going to be a bad, big conversation. Um, I, I I think it might help to, to see a therapist just for like a couple of sessions before you do this. Maybe even just one, maybe just even on the phone. So you can kind of get a sense of um, how you want to communicate the information. Um, and then giving him some space. Yeah, I think that the letter writer should also prepare for a potentially negative reaction and not expect Kyle to, you know, I guess to basically the conversation should be less about having Kyle have a certain reaction, but more to be honest and get this out there and, you know, leave things where they are. So um, Kyle might have a negative reaction and that might not be something that can be prevented yeah, I mean, a, a, a couple of things. One is, you know, if you do decide to tell him, and I, I just think you should. Like, I don't think that this feels good right now. I don't think this is going to be a way you can build a lifetime together. I don't think you're going to be able to keep this from him. And and I, I, I want, you know, you know you did something awful. Um, and I'm glad that you're able to recognize it. But... um uh, you also, I don't think, can, like, make that the focus of the conversation because he needs to be able to be very angry with you. Um, and if you do too much of, you know, I know I'm awful, I know I'm the worst, um, that kind of takes out any room for him to get mad. Um, so, I, you know, I would say first, find out if you can who the people are uh, that you gave the dog to because it may very well be that he will want to talk to them um you know i i do think he has a right to know if you can find out where these people are um 
and the and and the dog is still alive, like you should have that information for him if you can get it. Telling him the truth actually might be more liberating and comfortable than this state of wondering what if and keeping the secret and having everything trapped inside. Um, so either way, um, whatever happens, this will be a big step for the letter writer and also for their relationship. Yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, it's not going to go great. Um, I don't, you know, people do stay in relationships where there's been, uh, you know, intense infidelity or betrayal. Um, and and I'm, yours may very well be one of those relationships. I, I don't know. Um, I also would not be at all surprised if he ended the relationship. Um, and it may have, you know, pretty serious social consequences if you're close with many of his friends. And after five years, my guess is you may be. But um, I, I, th- I kind of think there's a part of you that wants it to be known because you've just been punishing yourself privately for years now, um, but without any, um, uh, you know, because nobody else is watching you get punished, there's no sense of, okay, I can move on from this, even if it's like in a different way um, or start a different kind of life or accept that I've lost something as a result of it and try to do better in the future. Like you're stuck because you're the only one who knows. And so even if his response is awful and he breaks up with you and you become, you know, a single parent and you two only communicate through lawyers, um, as painful as that might feel, at least you would have the opportunity to really deal with what you did, um, spend some time with a therapist and, and talking with the people in your life about why you did something that you think is unforgivable, and find ways to eventually um, forgive yourself. And I don't say that lightly or like, don't worry, your life will be fine once you let your boyfriend break up with you. Um, but as awful as I think what you did was, I also want you to be able to live a life. I want you to parent a child if that's what you want. I don't think that you should be, you know, thrown away. Um, but you cannot begin to forgive yourself until you first um, are honest with somebody else about what you did and are willing to accept some of the consequences of it. That's the first step. So if you don't tell him, I don't know that you'll ever be able to forgive yourself. I worry about that and I want that for you. So, um I think, you know, maybe before you tell Kyle, if you have a parent or a very close friend that you trust, that you can talk to about it first, um, maybe tell them what you're planning on doing and that you're scared and that you understand that they'll be angry with you, but you also want their help because you you want to take responsibility for what you did. Um, and, and if you lead with that, and, and if when you lead with Kyle, you know, you can say, um, I, I want to help you be able to locate this dog if that's possible. And I also am not trying to get out of responsibility for this. I'm not trying to um, avoid it. You need to know. You have a right to know. I'm sorry. And 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 then, you know, kind of leave it at that. I think that will um, – it won't feel good in the moment. It's not going to be like, oh, what a load off. No big deal. Uh, it might not good for, feel good for a very, very long time. But I do think five years from now, you will not feel quite that same sense of – only I know how bad a person I am. Um, you will feel like you have gotten to make really different choices. Um, and while you can't ever take back what you did, um, you can at least, you know, base future relationships on, on different foundations and act differently towards other people. And you can't start that until you tell them. So um, I think maybe tell him if you plan on keeping this pregnancy, talk about the pregnancy first, because that is 
actually the bigger news, even though we've been talking more about the dog, um, because that will that will if you plan on keeping this baby, um, if nothing else, the two of you will be financially uh, linked for at least eighteen years. Um, so that's important to talk about. And then um, once you have done that, I think a separate, but the next conversation needs to be, I've got something to tell you. <sighs> yeah, one more plug for honesty is that, you know, the longer that this couple stays together and they start building a family, um, the dog question is surely going to come up if he's a dog nutter. Yeah. So um, it, it, I think, needs to be dealt with as soon as possible. Yeah. And, you know, the, 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 uh, one more reason to tell him is, you know, you know what you did was cruel, but, but I think one of the cruelest parts of it is he's spent the last five years wondering if his dog is dead um, or if she died, you know, in pain. Um, and and you know, I think, uh, that that's not true and that the dog is with another family. Um, and maybe the dog has died in the meantime, but at least I think you have reason to believe that the dog is... Um, you know, physically well. And for him not to know that, you know, for him to be wondering uh, all the time, is she still alive right now? Is she sick? Is she hungry? Did she get hit by a car? You know, you have you have the power to take that fear and that sadness and that grief away from him. Um, and, and I think that's probably going to be the hardest thing for him to come to terms with about you is that you saw him worrying and suffering every day about what had happened to his dog and you didn't tell him. Um, I, I think you guys will end. I, I think this will probably spell the end of your relationship. I, I think that probably needs to happen. Um, I think that will be good for Kyle to know and to be able to not be in a relationship with you will be good for him. Um, I want him to know this. I want him to not suffer um, while worrying about his dog. And, and I want him to be able to decide whether or not he wants to be with you as a result. And, um, yeah, I, I, I just think the right thing to do here is, is to continue on the path that you started walking down when you wrote to me. Um, you started breaking your silence with somebody who doesn't know you. And I think that's partly because you know you can't keep doing this. Yeah, and whatever happens next, um, either way, it's good that Kyle has all the information to make the decision that makes the most sense for him. Yeah, and you just, you know, now now you know um, something about yourself, which is that you no longer want to um, make big decisions on behalf of other people um, in order to control them and then lie to them. You know you don't want to do that again, um, and you can find a therapist and talk to your trusted friends um, and take responsibility for what you did and say, I want to do what I can to try to make amends. I know I can't make it right, but I also don't want to treat people like this in the future. You can have that, you know, you can't, you can't ever undo this, but you can redo your future and that will be good. Yeah. All right. So the subject is secrets and uh, it begins... Dear Prudence, my husband and I grew up in the same small town. We have a two-year-old son. For a birthday present, I got both of us an ancestry kit. 
I wish to God I never came up with the idea. The results came back saying we are actually first cousins on the paternal side. This news unsettles me and has left my husband's world in tatters. His parents have been married for 30 years, and my husband always held his mother close to sainthood. He will not talk about this to me. We are sleeping in separate rooms, and it is starting to affect our son. All my uncles are happily married, I thought. I find myself looking through photo albums of our childhood together and trying to figure out the truth. This secret is poisoning my marriage, and I am terrified it will blow up the rest of our family. My father-in-law likes to rhapsodize how he married the first girl he ever kissed. This is going to kill him. I can't confide in my mother or sisters. We were supposed to visit this summer. So, like, if nothing else, I hope that one thing this podcast can do is talk at least one person out of ordering those DNA kits. Yeah, that was... Your first mistake, <laughs> especially yeah. in a small town. I feel like I, I know people who something like this has happened to where it's like, oops, like you're not related to your dad. And that's like not or you are related you, to your husband or you are. I mean, in this case, that's that I, when I was reading this at first, I thought that like the incest thing was going to be the dilemma and then the problem. Right. Mm-hmm. But then I realized that like, oh, no, it's also like an infidelity thing. That's like a huge nightmare now. Because with the incest thing, I was going to be like, listen, you're, you're cousins, you're not siblings, you didn't grow up thinking of yourselves as related. Totally. Like, there are plenty of places around the world where people marry their first cousins and it's not considered that weird. Like, I think you should just get over that, personally. But yes. um, then it becomes a little more complicated once you factor the other stuff in. So I think there are... Do you want me to just go? I don't know how, like... Uh, yes, just go. Okay. Just go. Oh, by the way, though, I love that our take on this was both very, like, it's not really incest. I was like, it's, it's not. I mean, it's like, it's like, fine. It's like, not. I wouldn't, like, go out of my way to date my cousin. But, like, if you accidentally married your cousin, like, worse things could happen to you. That is exactly where I come down. We are the same. And that's what you missed on Game of Thrones. Um, so yeah. <laughs> I kept arguing that when people were talking about Game of Thrones. I'm like, they didn't know. Who cares? Anyway, um... So, but I think there are really two different issues here. And the first one is the more complicated issue, which is the relationship with your husband, because he seems very upset, obviously. And that has to be something that you guys need to figure out. But then you're sort of conflating it with this other question, which is, should I tell anyone? Like, should we tell them? Uh, To which I personally feel like the answer is no. No. Like, I don't see the—unless your husband simply can't live with this, I don't see the upside in, like, blowing up this marriage potentially 30 years later or, like, telling his sibling—or, like, you know, I just don't see why that would be a good thing for anyone to do because, obviously, their family's been fine for however long and people make mistakes and, you know, whatever happened, it was— 30 years ago and mm-hmm. you know it's probably not worth you know blowing up the family as you put it in order to give yourselves peace of mind i think you opened the pandora's box a little bit with this dna test and you found something unpleasant and now i think it's sort of on you to like not let the blast radius get any wider that doesn't help you though deal with this with your husband i mean i feel like maybe you guys need to go to therapy you say he won't talk about it but like Something's got to give there, you know what I mean? Unless you, or you break up. Like, I I don't see how that's sustainable. You're already living in separate rooms. Like, there's, the marriage is not good right now. Right. And I think, yeah, like, 
I, I can almost see a way to steer them out of the various shoals here and get out to like we've processed it as much as we feel like we need to. And we're just going to let that one lie. Which yeah, I don't often give that advice, but like I like the idea of trying for it. But there's so many, so many different rocks they could found around. I think the one that would probably be hardest, at least for the husband right now, is the sense of like, so at least one of my parents saw me marrying this person and like using their memory, remembered there was a decent chance we were cousins and didn't say anything. And that, I think, would be the hardest part for me would be like one of my parents knew that I was marrying somebody who was probably my cousin and didn't say shit to me. And that, I think. Right. It's like my mother didn't say anything. Right. Like that that to me would feel like I don't know that I can put that one away. But on the other hand, if you're. So they've been married for 30 years. So my parents have been married for like a little over 30 years. So let's say let's gauge these people like mid 50s to early 60s, probably Mm -hmm. age wise. Right. Mm -hmm. I feel like if you're in that age range, unless you're someone like my mom, my mom's coming up a lot. I'm sorry. Who's like obsessed with genealogy. So she loves the ancestry DNA stuff. But like I feel like most people, especially if, you know, they got married like five or six years ago before that was like a fad really, before it was like on mm-hmm. TV all the time, I feel like it wouldn't occur to you that they would ever find out. So again, it's like one of those things where it's like, yes, like I made a mistake 30 years ago. I was unfaithful. For all you know, by the way, his father knows this and mm-hmm. they moved on from it and he raised the kid as his own and didn't have a pro- like, and, you know, I'm not saying didn't have a problem, but like clearly their marriage is good to by all appearances. So maybe this is something they worked through. But it's also just as possible that the mother knew this was a possibility, was never sure if it was true or not, right, and, and just, just hoped elected, hoped it would never, ever come up. Yeah. Um, and if that's something he can't forgive his mother for, then that's an issue that unfortunately, like, is sort of above your pay grade because it's not mm-hmm. about your marriage. I think the main priority is not, like, um, if there's a way to not, share this with the rest of the family and you two are able to talk about it and your husband thinks he can be in the same room as his parents again, that's, you know, that would be kind of remarkable. But if it is, I would say don't prioritize keeping the secret over everything else, right? Like if it just becomes we have to protect the secret no matter what, even if we're all dying inside, that's too high a price to pay. Right. That um, Yeah. And, and again, like, you know, yeah. So I would just say right now, what you need is somebody to talk about this with. And if your husband is not able to talk about it with you and he's not interested in going to therapist. therapy with you, yeah, go go by yourself. You will still benefit from it. Um, and, and they will be able, I think, to help you clarify, like, what do I need? What are my goals? What are my desires? Um, uh, and, and, and figure out kind of a plan. And then, like, from there to, you know, talk to your husband about, like, what do you need or 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 ask for what you need yourself and and if he's just like i want to sleep in this guest room forever and never talk about anything ever you know i think there needs to come a point where you can say like so that's not going to work long term and i need to figure out something else yeah i mean like what sort of that's kind of what i was trying to get at like i think it's a two-tiered problem and the key tier that's the first tier of the problem is your marriage and like figuring out whether this marriage can continue, whether this is something the two of you can process by yourselves, because if you can process it by yourselves or with the help of a therapist, but amongst yourselves rather than involving the rest of the family, the damage to the family will be limited. But if that's not possible, then the larger problem is how to approach 
dealing with this. And if they're if you're going to deal with it, I feel like that's something that he has to do with his mom, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and maybe say, like, do you think you want to need to talk to your mom about this? Because, again, I think the odds are that once you start talking about it, other people will inevitably be drawn into it. But it also like he could potentially have a conversation with his mother and a therapist that does not mean you have to call up every cousin you have and say like, okay, which one of you is my dad? Um, but right. Yeah. I, I, I do think that. Yeah. I'd leave the uncles out of it. Mm-hmm. If at all, yeah. your uncles and uh, you know, that's something that he and his mom can deal with if they want to, but you need to like not dig too deep into that. I think unless prompted to. Yeah. Hopefully there would be by a them. way to talk about it in a way that was like, I'm obviously, like, hurt and freaked out. I'm not trying to, like, you know, bury you. I'm not trying to, like, destroy you. I just, I need to know more about this. You need to be able to talk to me about it in a way that's, like, I'm not, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I feel like the pressures of trying to keep all these other marriages going is, like, if they've already weathered this right. for 30 years, I think they can exactly. handle another storm. But And, uh, yeah, and I think yeah. it's, again, I think it's very possible that some of, that at least, I mean, certainly the mother knew it was a possibility and the uncle whomever he may be knew it was a possibility but i think it's also possible that their spouses know that this is a possibility and that they've just all elected not to talk about it that's not Mm -hmm. to say that that's necessarily the case but i just think that you're more likely to cause more of a problem if you start like digging and investigating and trying to figure out like which uncle was closest with her when they were young you know like things like that like i just wouldn't do that until it becomes something that is like an open conversation if it goes that way. Yeah. And I would just say to me, if this if you start seeing a therapist, you have a place to talk about it and it still feels like I'm getting no traction with my husband. This may end my marriage and keeping the secret is killing me at that point. If you need to start talking about it carefully with one or two people in your life, then I would say at that point, that's more important than keeping the secret um, mm-hmm. is is like take that step first. See how that's going for you. If you're not getting any progress and you are like, I can't divorce my husband and not tell anyone why. Like I would feel right. so isolated and alone. You know, at that point, it's like I didn't start the fire. And Exactly. Um, like this isn't your except insofar as you bought the DNA test. But how could you have known? This isn't right. really like your Nothing Nothing about this is your fault. And it's not your husband's right. fault either. So right. I think that, like, so while my advice is to start by trying to, like, deal with it amongst yourselves, if that's not possible, like, neither of you is the guilty party here. And so right. not that anyone should be guilty, you know, but you get what I'm saying. Like, yeah, it, it's I do. It's just I do. And- not something you guys did. So if you need to, like, lance the wound in order to heal from this, then go for it. I just, it wouldn't be my first right. choice. I do think you guys should not visit this summer. Yeah. Oh God. Unless. Yeah. That is. You're not ready. You're clearly not there. You know what I mean? Clearly like, that's not. That's gonna be a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, the you know, I, I think to just really stress, like, especially if you're struggling to like get your husband to open up, to just say, like, clearly sleeping in separate bedrooms and not talking isn't working for either one of us. I don't see it making you happy or contented or peaceful. I see that it is failing you as a strategy. And I want Mm -hmm. a strategy for you that enables you to deal with your feelings, be present for our son, and ask for the things that you need. Um, And uh, yeah, again, I think one of the things that is hard is this does seem to be like, I think, a little bit more common than a lot of us thought with the advent of um, all these DNA kits. And like, again, I don't want to just say like, don't worry about it, no big deal. But I also hope you can like, it probably is true that your father-in-law really loves his wife. And right, yeah, that's it's complicated thing. and if, not ideal, but it doesn't mean that everything was a lie. I mean, some things were a huge lie, but 
It doesn't mean that they didn't love each other. And it doesn't mean that they didn't agree to tell that lie for what they thought was the best thing for their son. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Especially if it's a small town where everyone's gossiping. I mean, that's why, again, like you may be surprised how many people it turns out knew about this for 30 years. Right. I mean, especially if it's a gossipy small town. Exactly. Like this happens all the time. Yeah. It's so just, just not anyone... typical. The to part that's unusual is marrying your secret relative. That is like yes. a wrinkle that I have not encountered before. Um, right. Luckily, you're not half siblings. That would be, I'd be, that I would be suggesting like other. That would things, be a bummer. Yeah. That would be a bummer. But like cousins, I feel like you can deal with this, but it's going to take Cousins you can totally work with. You can deal with it. I just, you know, take some time to make sure like you're dealing with it because and you don't yeah. like don't feel like you have to make this work if he can't or if you can't or if this just becomes untenable. But obviously you want to make your marriage work. You say that in the letter. So, you know, give it a shot. I, bu- I believe that you can make this work. Um, yeah. But I would hesitate to go straight to let's talk to your family about it. Yeah. Um. And good luck. I hope you get that therapist. Good luck. Yeah, you deserve a therapist. You deserve a lot of support. Please right now. follow up with Prudence because I am fascinated to know how yep. this turns out. Honestly, and anyone else who's listening who like is about to buy a DNA testing kit, just go ahead and don't get anything else. <laughs> buy a hat or a puppy. Yeah, and don't get a puppy. I was just about to say the only thing, other thing you shouldn't get is don't get an animal as a gift. That's always a mistake. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, not as a gift for someone. No, God no. Yeah, I know. But that's the thing. She got it as like a gift for a birthday <sighs> present. It was the, the it gift? was his birthday present. Oh, God. <laughs> Happy birthday, like paternity crisis. Yeah, no, not great. All right, moving on to something with some lighter stakes. And uh, it's your turn to read it, which is great. Wild I mean, I tonal change. Yeah, okay. Yes. Um, yeah. The subject of this one is constantly covering. Dear Prudence, About once every two months, a group of friends of mine budget to go out to eat very good food we can't afford on a regular basis. However, one friend recently moved home and is flat broke. She constantly says she'd rather be invited and not order anything because it's all about the company. And then she picks off our plates. We're all a bit sick of it, but no one wants to exclude her because she eventually finds out and is hurt no one invited her to attend. Sometimes someone will cover her, but we're all recent college grads who can't afford to budget that much. Any ideas on how to proceed? No one wants to exclude her, but the caveat of you can only come if you can pay for yourself seems harsh. I'm reminded now, by the way, of Corey Sika's long ago all piece about how gays split the check. (laughs) Yes. Um, And the accompanying picture, which was just like a bunch of really handsome men enjoying a pool party. (laughs) That was a really iconic iconic piece of journalism. It really, really was. Oh, my God. Um, I have so many feelings about this letter. Tell me all your feelings slash has this ever happened to you? Um, sort of. I, I have I mostly this happened because I was the broke friend. Um, mm-hmm. when I when I was a recent college grad, I um, I was the, the one who was, you know, working in media, making pennies. And all of my college friends sort of very intelligently got jobs as bankers and lawyers and paralegals and things where they were making what seemed to me to be just unimaginable quantities of money and um i was really lucky because there were one or two people in that group who were extraordinarily compassionate about the fact that i and and another person in our group um were were making like negative dollars and uh 
they kind of went out of their way to secretly cover us or, or sort of make sure that that we could participate in what was going on. But it was still kind of always awkward. And, you know, now that I'm in a much more financially stable position, I try to go out of my way to make sure that other people don't find themselves worrying about whether they're going to pay rent or pay for drinks. But, you know, this is this is this is a slightly different scenario, I think. Yeah. And it's always a little tricky when somebody writes and says we're all a bit sick of it because there's always like a weak link, right, in that group of like everyone when they get together agrees they don't like it. But then there's always one person at least who's like, eh, it's not that bad. Um, And there's always one person who's like the most upset about it. Yeah. So it, it might be tricky to speak on behalf of the rest of the group, but let's let's assume that that's not at play here. And it's just literally it's one special event every two months. Um, you know, you have a couple of options and there's always like, sure, you can do the thing that is just like the most fair thing in the world. And that's fine. Um, I, I also think it's good to live in a world where you occasionally help out a friend in special circumstances and you don't do a lot of scorekeeping. Um, I, I think this is, you know, I, I, this feels like one of those opportunities to me. Um, if it were like every time we go out to eat, she never orders food, always steals like half of ours and then like doesn't even contribute towards the tip. That would be different Then I would say like your friend sounds like a jerk. But this feels like. I don't know. It's every two months. I don't know how much of your food she's taking, but it would be nice if maybe you just like added a couple of bucks each um, for this temporary situation while your friend who is living with at home like needs a hand. I agree with that with an asterisk next to it. I think that that um, given the information we have here, there's one of two scenarios that is actually happening, right? The first is that this is a group of friends who get together every two months. And the venue in mm. which they get together every two months happens to be a restaurant that's a little bit more fancy than they normally go out to eat at because, like, it's fun you know, pantomime the high life. Um, sure. But the point of getting together is getting together. And on the other hand, it could be that the point of getting together is going to these restaurants. And this is a sort of high-end cuisine appreciation club. And mm-hmm. the fact that everybody gets along and has become friends is great, but is sort of secondary to the purpose of the club, which is that we're going to go to these restaurants and we're going to experience the best that our city has to offer or whatever it might be. And I think that, that mm-hmm. what... You have just posited, Danny, like is a perfect kind of split down the middle. It's advice that that works in either one of these scenarios. But I I feel like, I don't know, I feel like the letter writer, like I feel like you're not sure which one of these it is yourself. You know, like if this is a gathering of friends, then amend the venue so that everybody can come without agita. And if this is about, you know, like foie gras aficionados club, then if you can't afford the foie gras, then it doesn't make sense to go to foie gras aficionados club because why are you even going? Right. And again, like if you're pretty good friends otherwise and you see her regularly, um, it is OK to talk through her hurt feelings without doing what she wants. Um, like if if you decide as a group that this one thing is like really specific um, and that you all don't want to keep paying for her you know, make the plans, talk to her about it. And if she says, I'm hurt, say, 
I would love to see you some other time. Let's plan something that you can afford, whether that's getting together at somebody's house or going on a hike or making a meal together um, and like uh, allow her to, um, you know, plan an event that she can afford. Now, if it's really just about seeing you guys, my guess is she will be able to talk through her feelings with you and and do this. If it's a little bit more, I really just want the free meal. Um you know, you don't have to worry so much about that. You can kind of let that one go. You can kind of say like, I'm sorry to hear that, but we all don't have a lot of money either. We can only afford to pay our own way. Let me know if you ever want to get together and just like watch a movie. Um, so to that, like to that extent, you certainly don't have to be responsible for her hurt feelings if she's not willing to come up with a compromise. But this all reminds me of like the most stressful meal I've ever eaten in my life, which is when I was like 21 or 22, I was visiting New York with no money. And I had like my last $20 with me. And my one thing that I had really wanted to do was like have a fancy breakfast with my friends before I had to leave. That's so lovely. And I was like, this is great because you can go to really fancy places if they do breakfast and get a really fancy breakfast, but it's still not going to be as expensive as a fancy dinner. Um, So I went with my friends to the Carlisle Hotel. Oh, no. I know where this is going. And again, had like had like planned ahead, had like looked at their menu online and was like, they have a breakfast menu. I can get like a cup of coffee and a breakfast there and tip for twenty dollars. This was like 10 years ago. Um, Like it's a it's a it's a little tricky, but I can definitely pull it off. Um, This is going to be amazing. We're going to have this like incredibly luxurious breakfast for a reasonable price. And then I can go home and like rebuild my savings. Helen, I didn't know that on the weekends, fancy hotels do fancy brunches where the prices are fixed. Oh, my God. They're so expensive. It's like $70. Oh, yeah. Easily. So there were four of us. And um, we went and they were like, it is a breakfast buffet. And I was like, oh, great. okay." And like at this point, I got a feeling of like, oh, this isn't quite what I had pictured. But website had normal prices so i'm sure this is just similar to that and they kept bringing us things like lobster bisque and saying there is a champagne thing down in the cellar would you like to be escorted there and i was just like my god this is highway robbery and um at the end they brought the check and my friend ben opened it and he looked at me with the widest eyes i have ever seen and he said danny this is three hundred dollars and um I felt so, 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 so guilty. Um, We all were overdrawn on our bank accounts that day. And it took me a couple of months to pay everybody those fees back. And I felt so, so bad. And then when we went out, because my friend is a plucky good sport, he like had a little bit more spirits. And he looked at me and he said, I stole all the spoons. Yes. Oh, yes. Ever since then, whenever I travel anywhere, um, I try to find a spoon and buy it um, and mail it to him. Oh, my God. You should steal the spoon and mail it to him. I am now at a position in my life where I don't feel like it's right for me to st- – I mean, it's not right to steal cutlery in general. It's not. It's but, true. But, like, I have the money to buy a spoon and I, you know, I, I, I'm not I, – I, I don't want to do that. Yeah. But, yeah, I felt – as bad as I've ever felt, it was a million percent my fault. None of us could afford that. And um, it was just me being so full of wishful thinking. Yeah. That's a, that's a, yeah. an amazing story. I'm so sorry. I hope you drank a lot of champagne from the champagne cellar. Like, get your $300 worth. 
I'm sure I did. This is before I got sober. So I'm sure I yeah. just like also embarrassed myself uh, in a second fun oh, way. You know, I, I'm just looking over the letter again while while thinking about the horror of a $300 breakfast bill. Um, and there's another aspect to this that I want to bring up, which is that um, depending on the size of, of this group of friends, and I'm assuming we're not talking like 15 people, we're talking like four or six people, like a normal restaurant table's worth of folks. Um, it's actually a not super great for the restaurant for there to be a person at a meal who is not ordering. Um, and I don't mean to like be taking the side of capital, but I'm thinking in terms of like the small businesses that restaurants tend to be and the extremely thin margins that they tend to run on. Your very broke friend who says, it's okay, I'll come along, I just won't order anything. Like it's kind of not super okay to do that. Um, the overhead costs of running a restaurant and making sure that there's a chair there and and the ways that servers get paid, they frequently are paid less than minimum wage thanks to uh, uh, this very upsetting legal concept called the tipped minimum where where you can be paid less than minimum wage as long as it's made up through tips that are left. All, all of this is a sort of complicated calculus that that largely relies on a person ordering food because we tip usually based on the check total. So if, you know, a server who's presumably not making a ton of money is relying on this four top or this six top to provide a certain amount of income to them and then, you know, a significant percentage of that table is simply not adding anything to the check, it's not really fair to the people whose service and labor you're relying on as you visit the restaurant. So it's another reason why I think that your friend's desire to be part of this is coming from a place of, of wanting to be included. And I, God, I relate so deeply to like the terror of exclusion. But um, I don't know. I think in general, it's it's not super cool for someone to go to a restaurant and not order anything. Like, you know, if, if I and again, I'm coming at this from a place of, you know, I, I have enough financial luxury to be able to eat out all the time and, you know, I, I can buy my own spoons now. I like that as a, a rubric of having made it in the world. Yeah. But, um, you know, if, if we're like lingering way too long, even if I don't want dessert, I will order dessert in order to effectively pay rent for the table that my friends and I are sitting at. And um, I think there's a, that level of consideration as well to take into mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it is hard because like in addition to all the very fraught interpersonal dynamics that can come up when you share a meal with a group of friends, um, there's also the fact that like most restaurants, you know, um, underpay their staff and they, there's a whole host of like labor issues that come into play there. So it's, you know, going out to eat is never just going out to eat. There's a lot going on. And I'm going to go ahead and read it because I want to make sure that we do time right uh, but the subject is, can't stop dreaming about my ex-boyfriend. Oh, yes. So, I, I mean this to be hopeful. Maybe you will keep dreaming about this person. You can still have a good life. Dear Prudence, I dated an absolutely wonderful guy, Benjamin, over a year while I was in college. However, our relationship, which was long distance, became unhealthy on both sides, and he eventually ended it. A part of me will always love him, though. That was three years ago. Maybe give it another 20. I've moved on dated other people, etc. But I'm still dreaming about him. About two to three nights a week, my dreams are all about my Benjamin. <laughs> Sometimes we're back together, or thinking about getting back together, or just plain fighting. These dreams are exhausting. I wake up feeling incredibly depressed and drained. The worst part is knowing that I will never see Benjamin ever again, other than in my dreams. 
Is there a way to cope with having these dreams which sometimes feel like nightmares? I know they may never stop, but I don't want to feel like garbage when I wake up anymore. For reference, I do believe that some dreams can inspire you to make a change in your life, but I definitely do not believe that these dreams are some sort of sign to initiate contact. Did I write this letter to myself? (laughs) I had a college boyfriend named Ben, and he broke up with me several times. And definitely three years out of college, I was like, I will never get over this. I will never forget him. I'm sure I'll always be a woman and I'll always love him. And like, give it a couple years. You might end up uh, with some exciting new facial hair and no dreams at all. Um, Oh, I felt for for this letter writer so deeply because we've all been there where, you know, we've... Our dream lovers. Dream lover, come <laughs> back to me. <laughs> uh, oh, God, it's, there's nothing worse than that exhaustion of waking up after a terribly traumatic dream in which all of the, the worst parts of either not being with someone or breaking up with them just comes back night after night. Uh, I don't know why she's still dreaming about him. That's, she seems very clear on the fact that they're not meant to be together. She's, she's okay with that. Yeah. But... Maybe there's a part of her that's not being fully honest about what she's clinging on to. I mean, love sometimes has a a long-ass echo in one's life, I think. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we want to go back and try to recapture the past. But I absolutely still think about people that I have broken up with ages and ages ago. It's not always quite to this extent. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I don't think you necessarily need to think I'm doing something wrong. Sometimes you just feel something very deeply and it stays with you a long time. So to that end, I would recommend reading the novel Persuasion. <laughs> it's great. You guys remember the conversation the she's having the at the end where it's like, I, I, I claim only one virtue for my sex, which is that long after all hope of love is gone, we maintain like loving the longest. And he's like, what's going on? He's writing down the letter. like, <laughs> Which is actually maybe not a great book to read because they do end up getting back together after seven years. But I do think that maybe throwing a little Barbara Pym in there because then there's just unrequited love forever and nobody gets married, which is great. Um, But yeah, I would recommend reading Persuasion and some Barbara Pym. And I would also recommend keeping a dream journal. I also think that there is a part of you that feels like you didn't get closure. The relationship ended because you were both on the other side of the country from each other. And I mean, no, no matter what people like to believe, love can't survive anything or everything you know that makes it sound like love can't survive a single thing anything love cannot you heard it here first folks it can't survive distance (laughs) um and you know maybe you had the basis for a really great relationship but the thing that just didn't work out was the fact that you were so physically separated from each other the feelings that you had for each other didn't end because the relationship did. And that's what is still kind of burrowing down into your heart is that you didn't get any closure. Yeah. And I would just say, don't be afraid of big, scary feelings. I, I often feel like if I'm feeling upset or, or particularly twisted up about something, it must be a sign that something is wrong. That's not always true. Sometimes we just have big, big feelings. So I would just say if three years out from the end of a relationship that meant a lot to you, a couple days a week, you wake up feeling kind of twisted Write it down. Write down what you dreamed. Write down what you felt. Acknowledge, like, I'm starting my day with this particular feeling of longing or despair. I know it will eventually fade and the day will take its place. Um, But that's where I'm at right now. Um, And let those feelings, you know, 
inspire you to be kinder to the people in your life right now, kind to yourself. Um, let that be the kind of high bar that you have for future relationships of like, I'm a person with a deep capacity for love um, and a deep, deep loyalty. That's a good thing. Um, but yeah, I would just say, pay attention to these feelings. Don't necessarily try to let them drive the car of your life. Um, but like, read deeply, read about people who have felt deeply and who have loved and lost and so on and connect with them in that way. And um, what you dream, you dream. Uh, Nicole, would you read that first letter for us, please? Sure. Subject, my boyfriend keeps masturbating in front of me. Dear Prudence, I've lived with my boyfriend of two years for the past year. Recently, I had some problems with my uterus and was hospitalized for severe uncontrolled bleeding. After I got out of the hospital three days ago on bed rest, my boyfriend has started jerking off to porn on his phone right in front of me. Without warning, without asking how I'm feeling or anything. The first time it happened a few hours after I was discharged. I was mostly in shock and too exhausted to even say anything. It's like because we haven't had sex for a couple of weeks, he thinks it's fine. Now it's happened again the last two nights. I honestly felt uncomfortable and almost violated. Why can't he do this in private? Our communication can suck sometimes, but we're otherwise very open with each other. I don't feel well, and I'm certainly not turned on by this. I can't even think about sex right now with the pain I'm in. Is it normal or okay to ask for a break in our sexual relationship until I am feeling better? I don't feel like just because I'm out of service to him, it means he deserves special treatment because he's so deprived. I understand that we should be comfortable enough around each other, but this made me feel upset. It feels like all he cares about is getting off when I haven't had an orgasm in a month because it's too painful. How do I even bring this up now that I let it go on for longer than one time? Wow. Right. Yeah, I think if there's one thing I wish I could kind of communicate to a lot of people who write in is that it is okay to bring something up even though you haven't brought it up before. Mm. Um, Like you don't suddenly lose the right to be bothered by something or hurt by something just because you couldn't kind of coalesce all of your feelings about it or you couldn't put words to what was bothering you before. So the idea that like, oh man, is he just like allowed to do whatever he wants because I didn't say anything previously? Like I, I, I hope that they can just let go of that idea. Of course you are allowed to be bothered by this. And you can just say, I I didn't know how to say it before because I was so shocked and groggy from surgery, but I'm saying it now. Right. Right. The key um, term in in this letter for me is um, violated. This person felt almost violated by their boyfriend doing this. And I think that that is what needs to push them to say something about this because it is a violation. They did not have a discussion about it beforehand. This is this was done without their consent. And I think they need to, yes, address it because you're you when you come home from the hospital, particularly after um, invasive surgery, you need to rest. It takes a while to get the drugs out of your system. You don't think the same way, all that. All that. So that can be their um, way of getting into the discussion. Hey, I really wasn't feeling well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of things were going on, but I want to talk to you about this because I don't feel comfortable with this. Right, right. And another another bit of the, the letter that kind of got me was, you know, the line where they said, I understand that we should be comfortable enough around each other, but this has made me feel upset. And comfort always makes room for upset. It doesn't matter how comfortable you are. If you feel upset, you feel upset. And 
like Nicole said, like this feeling of I can't broach this now. It's like, no, you you absolutely can. If if you're in pain and that's that's what they've said in the letter. I'm in pain. I was in shock and I was exhausted and so on and so forth. But also like I'm in pain. I, I don't know how to say that any more clearly. Like I can't do the things that you clearly are kind of yearning for. And that's fine. You know, it's not ideal, but it is what it is. Can we talk about what that means for both of us rather than you kind of just assuming that you can just kind of, you know, whip it out and get going? I just I find that just like, no, you have every that this is literally the epitome of I have grounds to say something. Right. right. It's not like some sort of frat boy, you know, oh, you're on your period. So can you give me a BJ? You know, that kind of thing. That's ridiculous. Um, This is much more serious than that and they definitely need to have a discussion about it and the letter writer needs to say don't do this right and like you said a good way in is to kind of you know use the you know the truth of it which is i was exhausted i was groggy i wasn't feeling myself and that's why i didn't bring it up because that's that's where the letter ends how do i even bring this up now and i think that you know if you're looking for a sort of in that's that's it it's it's accurate and it's you know it's also very useful in this in this situation where it's kind of been like I, I was in shock the first time and I wasn't quite sure what was going on but now that I can like you said I I've coalesced my thoughts and I have some I have some thoughts you know where I, you know and they're thoughts that I can now say out loud bringing it up is difficult but necessary mm-hmm. you know I think it's uh you don't forfeit your, your rights to bring it up because time has passed yeah and and also you know, the kind of implication is I know we should be comfortable around each other would be that, like, if he had asked, I would have to say yes. Mm. It's also really fine to have the kind of relationship where if your partner, like, asks to jerk off in front of you while you're recovering from surgery, if you're like, I'm not into that, that does nothing for me. Right. No. Right. Um, so if if part of you feels like the only thing that I should be upset about is that he didn't ask, it's just you can also say, I don't like this. and mm. And you don't say anything about, like, Otherwise, he's been very helpful and attentive. Right. Uh, but you do say that you're on bed rest and in a lot of pain. And so, yeah, I, I just I want to give you a lot of permission to not only bring this up, but really don't rush to forgive him right. and yeah. don't rush to make an excuse for him. So to say, like, this was wildly, you know, like just insensitive to the fact that I'm recovering. It was also a violation of my consent. And just because we're dating doesn't mean we're not capable of violating consent. So Mm -hmm. you need to take that real seriously, boyfriend. Like that's a that is an issue of like respecting consent and and other people's bodily autonomy. And like uh, that doesn't go away just because you're dating somebody, especially if it's like I'm introducing a brand new thing we've never done together before. So I, I think you have a right to be very upset if this were me and I brought this up and my partner responded really badly, I would really question, like, am I safe with this person? Yes, absolutely. Does this person care about me and my well-being? So really let yourself feel this one. Really let yourself object to it. If if you need to, like, be kind to yourself beforehand and just say, like, look, I didn't bring this up earlier because of X, Y, and Z. That's fine. It's also just okay to go straight into, like, mm. what the fuck, man? <laughs> I am recovering from unbelievably painful surgery. I haven't come in a month. And you start jerking off in front of me without even asking if I'm cool with it. Like, what is the matter with you? Right. Um, what indeed? <laughs> yeah. Oof. He should be, like... Not that there's anything wrong with wanting to get off, but like no. he couldn't have he couldn't have made you soup first. 
right. <laughs> right. Make the soup and then go do it in the bathroom. It's the it's the phone. Like it, it just it reeks of a certain kind of like a basic lack of respect. Like yeah. you know, you're over there kind of like holding onto your insides, and someone is kind of like anyway, um, boop, and then just opens up Pornhub. It's like right. fam. I, are we even gonna t- like come on? I'm watching This Is Us. Like I'm holding a hot water bottle to my stomach and watching schmaltzy <laughs> network TV. What I don't need is this. Yeah. Also, it's just like does her, does you know the letter writer's um, pain is he getting off on that in some kind of way because mm. they're clearly like in bed in pain I'm sure that they don't look great you know like they're probably pale and I'm sure you like, look wonderful but you look yeah I mean you know, I'm sorry yes right you know it's like <laughs> sorry. You, you probably look like you just got home from a, a serious medical procedure I, what is that like why would you think oh this is the time right you know this is the right time to do this yeah yeah it reeks of something that is oof. yeah yeah that entitlement and that indifference and potentially that like enjoying i think my partner's probably too like exhausted and in pain to say anything so i'm mm. just gonna go for it that's mm-hmm. just none of those are good things to, to have in a partner and again especially when you could talk about this with your partner and ask like is there a way that i could incorporate like the way that i masturbate while you're recovering that would feel kind of fun and playful for you or right. would you want to just keep that really separate like right that's a perfectly legitimate question to ask and he could have asked you and like could have potentially gotten something that felt fun and light for the both of you but right. instead you feel like wait what just happened mm-hmm. yeah it reeks of selfishness and um it's uh, it's definitely something that you want to broach um, as soon as you feel up to it because, you know, the alternative is what you just sit there and take it. No, you should yeah. definitely, you know, if you feel if, if you know, the, the question being, how do I bring this up is, you know, just like Danny said, you you bring it up, you know, whether you want to ease into that or launch straight into it, it's entirely up to you. But it's something that is worth you um, taking the time to kind of question because it yeah. it definitely is something that has put you in a place where you are feeling, oddly enough, in a defensive position when you've done literally nothing except recover from surgery. Right. And I just want to acknowledge you put the the bit about being, quote, out of service and deprived in quotation marks. And what I felt like in that was you're afraid that that's what he's going to say to you. Um, that that's going to be his defense. And and I just want to say, if you tell him you did something that made me feel violated, hurt and uncomfortable, and his response is anything like, oh, so I'm not allowed to get off just because you've had surgery. He is trying to dodge the issue. Um, he's trying to distract you. And you don't have to uh, fall for that. You, you get to say, we are not talking about whether or not you have a, a right to orgasm in private. Mm. We're talking about the way that you chose to do it, mm. uh, which you did not have to do. Um, you made that choice. Um, right. so, so if he does try to come at you with that defense um don't give it any quarter because it's it's ridiculous mm. I love, and good I, luck i, I i'm it, just yeah i love that you said don't give him any quarter and that feels very kind of you know staunch politician and uh, <laughs> i responded to that so thank you <laughs> absolutely absolutely all right we are gonna do one more letter because it is just such a classic you know happens to all of us uh sooner or later it's gonna happen to you listeners the subject is just <laughs> a guest did her homework during my wedding and i'm furious dear prudence i recently got married to my dear husband ricardo however during the ceremony ramona the wife of jorge a college buddy of my husband's actually whipped out her macbook during the ceremony and worked on a college paper 
the entire time. The sound of Ramona's typing was audible during the ceremony. She barely lowered the volume on her laptop. And she even attempted to FaceTime with her study partner, although she was at least, quote, considerate enough to walk out when the call connected. Ricardo reached out after the ceremony and asked Jorge why Ramona saw fit to use my wedding hall as a study hall. He replied that she was under a tight deadline for her class and had planned on skipping, but decided to come when she saw we had an open bar. And, quote, Ramona had earned a breather after putting in so much effort at school, and she sat in the back row anyway. You can hear her message alerts chiming over my vows in the wedding video. Pretty I'm furious. She ruined my wedding to score some free booze, which she enjoyed while continuing to type away during the wedding toasts and our first dance. How do I properly convey my frustrations to Jorge and Ramona, or am I overreacting? Well. Wow. Wow. Your friends are assholes. (laughs) Um, yeah, th- this this is not a thing that should happen. To be very clear, this is not. No, nope, no, nope, never. Nope. Yeah, I've never heard of this one. This is a brand new one to me. Um, yeah, this is uh, my again. This was totally bizarre, and uh, I I understand why no one anticipated this. But like, rather than overreacting, I, I think what should have happened in the moment was like somebody. And yeah, I mean, again, I get that you don't go into your wedding thinking like, now we've deputized such and such a person to make sure that everyone turns off their laptops um, and doesn't take a call during the ceremony. But like the moment would have been then to like, even at the risk of things looking a little bit uncomfortable to like stop and like send somebody, send an usher or whatever over to her and be like, you need to stop. Uh, Again, without saying like, therefore, it's your fault. I think one of the things that is good in the moment um, is to stop and, and 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 address this rather than just like pull a shocked face and hope that somebody becomes abashed when they have made it clear that they will never become abashed. But that moment has passed. You can't go undo that. Yeah. I agree. This is like a, this is a nonsense thing to have happen. Just full stop. This should never occur to anyone to do. But unfortunately, it is a thing that happened in the past. And yeah. so it's like, you can be as mad as you want to about it. Unfortunately, it is it is still firmly lodged in the past. Once you cannot dislodge it, and will it'll be on those? Maybe you could see if they'd be willing to pay to edit the video. No, uh, I I don't know. I, I actually don't think that's a good suggestion. But it just seems like people who are clueless enough to just urge their studying Ramona to come and type blithely away during the ceremony with alerts going off. Yeah. Uh, would not feel that any wrongdoing had happened for which they'd be willing to compensate you. So I think just know that you are completely in the right about this, but unfortunately that there's probably not a ton you can do about it other than maybe reevaluate whether these folks are folks you want to continue to cherish as friends. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I, 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 I'm also just kind of amazed that none of the guests were in the moment like, turned around and and closed her laptop for her. Yeah, no, this is why relatives exist. Yeah, yeah. Um, So there's kind of two things to do here. One is, like, how do I properly convey my frustrations? Uh, You just say, like, hey, that was awful. You know, like, you don't have to properly convey. I mean, short, like, don't scream at them and don't say, like, you're horrible monsters and I hope you get hit by a car. But all you have to do is say, like, it was really rude and distracting. Uh, the sounds of your typing and studying are in my wedding. Um, I, I, I wish so much that you hadn't done this. It, it really hurt my feelings that I didn't have your full attention during the 15 minutes that a wedding ceremony takes. It was rude and it damaged our friendship. 
That's all you have to say. If they apologize, you can say thank you for your apology. I still need time. If they don't apologize, you can safely write these people off as bad friends who you do not ever have to see again. They are Their commitment to rudeness is greater than their commitment uh, to you. Um, but then beyond that, once they are out of your, uh, you know, immediate social circle, you, you can, I think, laugh about it a little bit, maybe not right away. Um, but like you still got to marry your husband. Um, you get to be married for the rest of your lives if you would like. And that person does not have the power to do anything else to you. And one of the things that I think you will eventually get to laugh about is like, you guys are not going to believe this. When we got married 20 years ago, we had a great time and we had one guest who was studying during the whole ceremony. And your friends will be like, what? No, you're making that up. And you're like, I am not making this up. This happened. And they'll be like, you're putting me on. And be like, I have a video. You can hear her laptop. Remember laptops chiming in the background. And they'll be like, that's wild. Because of course, now we all have some new technology that's replaced laptops. Um, and you will get to dine out on the story of the totally bananas wedding guest who you don't talk to anymore. Yes, no, because one of the greatest gifts, which I hope eventually this will become a gift, is to be given the perfect story about why somebody is a bad person, or not a bad person necessarily, but like this is the perfect incident that you can then use to explain like why you have the attitude towards that person that you have. And this is gift-wrapped. Classic, yeah. Just a beautiful example. Yeah, a continued friendship with this person is impossible because um, she studied and took phone calls throughout my wedding. Uh, and then when I told her that that bothered me, uh, her boyfriend said, well, she wasn't going to come anyways, but she saw that there'd be free booze. And everyone's response to that will be, oh, my goodness gracious, that belongs in a museum. And you will just be able to dine out on this story for years to come. Nobody will be like, I think you overreacted. Everyone will be like, this lady sounds like a jerk. And again, like it hurt, obviously, because it is 15 minutes out of your life I'd like to pay attention during the ceremony. No one's even saying, like, don't look at your phone or leave early during the reception. But yeah, like to, to say, boy, oh boy, I want the people who attend my wedding to pay attention during like the 10 minutes when we're actually talking with the efficient and taking our vows. This is a very, 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 very easy Easy, simple request. Yeah, I, I can't get over the fact that she was on a laptop, not even on her phone, on a laptop right? typing with dinging noises. No, the, you are going to – this is just a beautiful, horrible story that no one will ever find issue with your behavior, but they were their jaws will drop to the ground yeah, appalled. Yeah. And then Jorge was like, well, she was in the back row. And she actually <laughs> didn't even feel like coming to your wedding to start with, but like we, we did want to like get some free booze out of you. It was just like – that is just – you know, uh, I'm truly impressed at, at both of their um, charisma. I'm going to call that charisma. Yeah. No, it's like uh, panache. No, there's another word. Panache, uh, yeah. Affrontery, perhaps? Yeah. 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 The the true, true. Affront yeah. Some people truly do not worry what anyone in the world thinks of them. And uh, Ramona and Jorge are definitely in that category of just like, I'm going to do exactly what I need to get by and everyone else can go hang. And that is just too much confidence. You shouldn't have that much confidence. You should have less confidence than that. Yeah, no, sadly, always the people with that confidence are the ones you wish didn't have that confidence and vice versa. Yeah, they don't use it to make wonderful, useful, uh, you know, choices that benefit others. Um, they they do it to FaceTime their study. But can you imagine being the study buddy and getting that call and being like, wait, where are you? You're calling me from what? This, this can wait. I hear organ music. Are you somewhere you can talk? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fine. It's fine. Oh, They're man. wrapping up. Uh, yeah, they haven't started yeah, serving it's... booze yet, so I can talk. I'm still free. 
Um, mm. Oh man! As someone who once left a reception to watch Jeb Jeb Bush's speech where he dropped out of the like race, you know, if it were possible to find a sympathetic audience for this, I would have been that. But I left the reception in a demure manner and didn't make any noises. Uh, I once left a reception early to go audition for Jeopardy because there was Ooh. only like a twice a year window when you were allowed to do so. But I had cleared it with uh, the bride first and I just went to a nearby Panera Bread and then I came back afterwards because it was only like 20 minutes. So, you know. Yeah, you got to clear it with the bride if you're thinking of doing anything anomalous at a wedding. Yeah, and she was my cousin. Is... So it wasn't, it was, you know. Anyways, oh, yeah. I realize now I'm exposing myself to censure from others who say, no, 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 you wait until they have the audition that's not during your cousin's wedding. And I will, you know, if someone wants to chasten me for that, I will accept it. I, I should potentially have, have reconsidered. But what's done is done. And I already went on Jeopardy and lost real bad. So I've already been punished. I hope you all enjoyed and got something out of these letters. Grace and I are done packing. And we're heading to New York City. So the next episode you will hear will be from the other side of the country. Thanks, all of you, for listening and supporting the show. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to Slate.com slash Dear Prudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to Slate.com slash PrudyPod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute, tops. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. Your level of fear is not commensurate with what you're proposing doing. Like most reasonable people, if their friend says, I cannot host you for an extra two nights, would not say, then fuck you and your bloodline. I hope you all die. Um, <laughs> they'll just say, okay, we'll we'll rearrange our plan. So, and again, I think like the fact that you were like texting in a panic back and forth about this instead of just picking up the phone and, and saying either like, hey, you know, when we agreed to this, you two were in a really different situation. And also now that I'm in grad school and close to finals week, I've just realized uh, it would be too hectic and too challenging to host the whole families here. So I'm afraid we're not going to be able to host you and you'll have to make other arrangements. I'm really sorry for the inconvenience, but I just think this is the best thing to do. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash prudipod.